don't know if you've seen the title of the sermon or not yet today, but if you have, I wonder if it made you a little nervous. But I like it here. Now, I get why you like it here. I mean, who wouldn't like to live in this, the greatest country on the face of the earth? But if it made you nervous, I want to ask you a question this morning. And that question is this. Is there something more important in life than where or how you live? I think the answer to that question is it depends. It depends on if you belong to God or not. Because if you don't belong to God, then the question's irrelevant. Then do whatever you want because you don't have any other boss. But if you do belong to God today and still get nervous when you think about that question, maybe you're saying, okay, I, I get it now. This is the time of the year when that guy gets up in the funny clothes. Now admit it, you are a little jealous of these clothes. 60-inch waistband that's contractible. It hides a multitude of milkshakes. And I'm the only one that is so comfortable today. But you're thinking maybe in your mind, this is that guy that stands up and he's going to tell me that I have to quit my job and sell my home and move to Timbuktu. Well, actually, that might not be a bad idea for some of you because Timbuktu is one of the most unreached cities of our world today. But do you get nervous when you think about that? And if you do, and if you belong to the people of God, I, I think there's one of two things that perhaps you don't understand very well. You don't either understand the mission of God, or you don't understand the God of the mission. Now, if you don't yet belong to God, you're probably not going to understand much that we talk about in the next couple of weeks. This is family business for the people of God. We're glad you're here visiting. In fact, we would love nothing more than for you to join that family because God has issued an invitation. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You may enter that family and give your life to God. But for those of you that do belong to him, I want us to think about this question this morning. What is the mission of God in the world? And I, I want to set it by referring to 1 Peter, our study that we're engaged in. And we're taking a couple-week break from our study in 1 Peter to focus on the nations of the world during reach. But 1 Peter has been a perfect preparation for what we're about to do. Because the Bible, in a nutshell, is the story of the mission of God. And what is that mission? The mission of God is to gain glory for himself by calling together for himself a people that will be his very own possession. A people who respond by faith to his gracious initiative, to his offer of salvation in Christ, and who turn from their sins and turn to God to live for him. But what happens next after you become a part of the people of God? Well, we learned last week that God expects from those people that he calls to himself that they would become like him, that they would be holy as he is holy. What a great sermon we had last week on our need to be holy, and God met us last Sunday. A number of you came forward for prayer, and I trust that you're making progress in developing holiness in your life. 
But that is not the only thing that God wants from his people. As important as holiness is, holiness by itself is not enough. Because we are called as the people of God not just to be, we are and that's important, but we're also called to do. And here's where some of you evangelicals may get nervous. You say, I don't want you talking to me about works because we're saved by faith through grace alone. And you're right, we are saved. There's nothing we do to get into that family of God. It is his initiative, it is his grace. But what happens when we do enter the family of God is that his spirit comes in us and he changes us and that saving faith then, James 2 tells us, produces good works. And part of those good works is that we will be involved in the mission of God. Because my friends, the mission of God in this world, which is to gather together a people for himself, is carried out by God through his people. And that's what we're gonna learn from God's word today. In the last century, there has been a fundamental shift in theologians' understanding of missions. Instead of seeing missions as something that the church does, we have begun to see missions as something that God is. Missions is derived from the very nature of God. He is a sending God. David Bosch wrote, missions is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. Do you see it that way? Because God is a missionary God. It is his purpose, it is his initiative, and the church is viewed simply as an instrument in what he is doing in the world. Now scholars like to use Latin to impress all of us who aren't scholars. And so they've called this idea the missio dei, the mission of God. And historically that mission of God was understood to have two movements. We understand from John 3:16 the first movement, God the Father sends the Son to save the world. The second movement in the missio dei is that God the Father and the Son send the Spirit. And that's where Christian theology stopped for about the first 1800 years of its existence. But as they began to understand the Bible more deeply, they realized that there was a third movement out of the character of God, a third sending, and that is that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit now send the church into the world. I'm not sure why it took so long to figure that out because Jesus said that himself in John 20, 21. He said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now you do understand, don't you, that if not for this sending quality of our God, we would all be doomed. We would be left to die in our sins. So we like it when the sending is for us, when it comes to rescue us. But we tend to shy away from the sending when it is through us. Why? Because, frankly, we like it here. You see now why I said that if you belong to God, there are more important things in life than where and how you live. Our vision at College Park Church is to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. And if in the heart of Jesus is this sending and this going nature, if he is sending and going and we're not, then we're not following Jesus. We're trying to lead him. And that's not how he operates. This is what REACH is all about and why we take two or three weekends every October 
to think about the mission of God, how God is accomplishing his purposes through us, his people. First, his mission to us to redeem us, and then his mission through us to redeem the world through the message that we bring to them. Well, what I'd like to do this morning is three things. I want to first look at the people of God in the Old Testament to see what their role in the mission of God was. Second, I want to move to the New Testament, the era that we live in, and look at the role of the people of God in the mission of God today. And then thirdly, I want to look at what College Park Church is doing and help you find your particular fit in the mission of God. We pick up the story in Deuteronomy chapter 1. So if you haven't yet, please take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy 1 verse 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan, that is in the Arabah, and then all those names that we have a hard time pronouncing. Moses begins now with a history lesson. Verse 5, east of the Jordan in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai, and you remember what happened there? God descended from heaven onto that mountain. There he met face to face with Moses, and he gave him the Ten Commandments, but he gave him a lot of other stuff too. He gave him all of the laws that the Jewish people, the people of God, were supposed to obey. He also gave him the complete plans for the tabernacle because God had a plan in mind. God wanted to move in with his people. And so you remember what happened? Moses came down from the mountain, and the people built the tabernacle exactly like God had prescribed. And when it was all ready, the end of the book of Exodus says this amazing thing happened. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Amazing. The God of creation now has chosen to come and live in a tent in the middle of his people in all of his glory. What a beautiful picture there. God's people freed from their bondage in Egypt, now brought out into the desert and enjoying direct fellowship with their God, a little picture of heaven. But the story doesn't stop there because God has something more in mind. It is now time for the people of God to do, not just to be. It is time for them to engage in the mission of God. And so he says at the end of verse 6, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. As we go through the message today, I want you to ask yourself and let the Holy Spirit begin to let that thought seep into your hearts. Have you stayed long enough at the mountain where you've been lately? How long had they stayed there? If you do the research, it had been about a year that they had stayed at the base of Mount Sinai. There was a lot to do in that year. They had to learn all of God's laws. They had to set up this immaculate tabernacle with all of its furnishings. They had to begin the priestly service and the sacrifices. But now God says, as much as I love this fellowship with you, I have something bigger, something more in mind. What happens during the course of a year? Well, we begin to settle in, don't we? Humans have a tendency to grow roots wherever we sit still. And that's why many of you sit in the same seats every Sunday. And we do the same thing. Why? It's just easier. We're, we're creatures of habit, and we don't like change. We don't like to shift and do something new and different. And yet, to be engaged in God's mission, we need to be mobile. We need to be ready to move. And so he says, you've stayed long enough at this mountain. 
God was on a mission and he had a bigger plan. To accomplish those plans, he needed his people to move. Because you see, heaven and their rest was coming later. Now was the time for them to be involved in his mission. And so he says in verse 7, break camp and advance. If you have the ESV, it says, turn and take your journey. And and I wanted to read it in the NIV today because it's a little more colorful. The word literally does mean to turn. It means to change your situation. And so break camp is a good way, I think, to describe that. Take down the places that you've become comfortable in, become mobile and ready to move forward at the commander's command. And advance. There's a mission ahead. Turn and take your journey. And then he outlines their mission. So this morning I want to look at three things in the text that describe their mission and ours. First of all, the nature of the mission. We're going to first do the Old Testament column. There are notes that you may have gotten when you came in. You're going to need to fill out your own sermon notes this morning. So try to follow and and fill these blanks in if you can as we go along. The nature of their mission. First of all, what was the scope of it? It was very clear it was the promised land. Verse 7. Break camp in advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. This was their assignment. This was the region that they were supposed to go into. But what was the task? The task was also very clear. The task was to take possession of the land, verse 8. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers. What were they going to need to do? They were going to need to advance and fight and conquer the people that lived in that land and take it over. So that was the nature of their mission. Any questions? Seems pretty clear. They knew where they were supposed to go and they knew what they were supposed to do. Don't you wish all sermon points were that brief? But the reason it gets tricky is we go on to the next sermon point, and that is the people of the mission. And here's where we run into some problems. Well, what was their first response when God told them to break camp in advance? You need to jump down to verse 19. Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful desert that you have seen, And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Amazing. The people actually did what God told them to do. This was not their track record. But they had been around Mount Sinai in the southern tip of the Sinai Peninsula for a year. God tells them to break camp in advance. So they do. And they take an 11-day journey up to Kadesh Barnea. And this is right at the southern edge of the land that they were supposed to conquer. And when they got there, they had this bright idea that let's check things out there. Because we're not sure if we can do this job. So they sent 12 spies in, and you remember the story? The 12 spies came back with a report, and what was their report? You read it briefly in verse 28. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Whoa! What was the report? The report was the people in that land are bigger than we are. They live in fortresses. 
And we even saw some giants there. The Anakites were a huge race of people from whom Goliath eventually would descend. And as they looked at that situation, they said, there is no way in the world that we can pull that off. God has told us to advance, but the only logical thing is for us to back down and go backwards. And so they refused God's mission. Verse 26, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Now, did that decision make sense? Absolutely, from a human perspective. I mean, even though they had exaggerated the dangers just a smidge, I mean, walls up to the sky? Probably not. And if you read the fuller report of the spies' report in Numbers 14, they said, we appeared as grasshoppers to them, and they looked at us as the same. And what does a human being do to a grasshopper? You just have to go like that, and it goes squish and crunch, and it's over. And they said, if we try to enter the land, they're just going to go like that. They're going to go squish and crunch, and it's going to be over. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. The people don't want us there, and they're going to kill us if we go. Does that sound like any places in the world you've heard of today? The world hasn't changed much, has it? And the people, what about them? Well, for 400 years, all they had been doing was taking care of sheep and making bricks in Egypt. They didn't know how to fight. They didn't leave Egypt fully armed and ready for battle. And so they declined. They said, God, you go ahead with your mission. We're staying here. And how did God respond? Verse 34. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give to your forefathers, except Caleb. God was angry when the people of God declined the mission of God. What had the people forgotten? Their decision made sense at one level, but they forgot the third point of the sermon this morning. There is not only a mission of God, there is not only the people of the mission, but thankfully there is a God of that mission, and that's what they forgot. The mission of God is accomplished through the people of God as they trust in His power. You see, they were not just the people of Israel. They were not just human beings. They were the people of God. God did not expect them to do this job by themselves, and he knew they couldn't. So he reminds them of his history with his people. Look at verse 30. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. He says, don't you remember the history that I have with you? Just a little over a year ago, what did I do for you? You were slaves in Egypt, and I brought from heaven ten plagues that the world had never seen before. And I, I so impressed the Egyptians with my power that they begged you to leave. And then what happened next? You went out into the desert, and Pharaoh followed you with all of his armies, and you got trapped up against the Red Sea, and you cried out to me, and what did I do? Again, I came to your deliverance. I put a cloud between you and the Egyptian army. I opened up the sea, and you walked through on dry land. 
And then after you all got through with your wives and your little ones, I took the cloud away and Pharaoh and his armies came through that same channel and what did I do? I closed the waters over them and Pharaoh and his entire army drowned. My friends, that is my history with you. Could you not trust me to do that again for you in the future? Not only that, but look at verse 31. There you saw in the desert how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. They'd been in the desert a year. There were no grocery stores or restaurants in the desert. What had God done for them? He had opened up heaven and rained bread on them. He had brought them meat. He had brought water out of the rock. He had tenderly cared for them. This was his history with his people. He is able to do whatever he accomplishes and wants to accomplish. But it is not only his history with the people, it is his promises as well that he reminds them of. The promises of God, first of all, his powerful presence, verse 30, read it again. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you. God was going before them, he said. It's not just that I've done these things in the past. It's that I'm now promising that I'm going to go with you and fight for you. I'm going to date myself here a little bit, but I really enjoyed the movie My Bodyguard. It came out in 1980. Ringing a bell with anybody? No, few people. There's this nerd in high school named Clifford. And I think the reason that I identified with this movie is because I was always the squirt in high school. And he was being mistreated by the older boys until one day he made friends with Ricky Linderman. Ricky was one of these guys who had failed numerous grades, and he was a foot taller than everybody else. And so Clifford got the bright idea, let me make friends with Ricky, and he did. And you know what? With Ricky Linderman behind him, Clifford had a whole different attitude around his high school because he was being backed up by some muscle. And that's what God wants his people to understand. Yes, there are giants in the land, but you have a gigantic God behind you. And I've promised to go before you and fight your battles for you. But still, verse 32, they did not trust in the Lord their God. Not only that, but God had promised his ultimate victory. Did you notice in verse 8, go back a second, see I have given you this land, go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore. Did you know God swears once in a while? God had determined from centuries earlier that he was going to give his people this land. And in Genesis 12, he swore that to Abraham. He repeated the promise to Isaac and Jacob. And so what if that promise had taken a 400-year detour in the land of Egypt? That was less than a half a day in God's economy. God had promised it. He had sworn it. And it was going to happen. And now his promises were about to be fulfilled through his people if they would only step forward in faith and break camp and advance. Well, what was the real issue with these people? I think it was not so much that they disbelieved that God could do wonders, but they disbelieved that he would do wonders through them. You see, that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? We believe that God is this great creator and he can do anything he wants and he's got this great history, but now it's just me and the road in front of me and I can't figure out how to do it and I'm not capable of doing it. And so we falter. We're fearful and we're, we're not trusting God. 
to fulfill his promise to be with us and to fight for us and to accomplish the purposes that he has decreed from all of eternity. The mission of God will only be accomplished through the people of God when the people of God trust the God of the mission to do his work. Well, that was then a long time ago, and this is now. Some things have changed. And yet, as the people of God today, we should ask a very important question, and that is, what is the mission of God today in the world? And it's different. It's different in two respects from the mission that God had for his people in the Old Testament. It's different, first of all, in its scope. We have a bigger area that we have to cover. Now, how big is this area? Well, it said in Acts 1.8, just try to catch up real quick. Here Jesus said what the area was that the New Testament church was supposed to cover. How much area is that? The ends of the earth. We no longer get just one nation or one small part of the world. We have to go to all of the world. And so this is what that looks like. The ends of the earth is every nation. Every town, every village, every city where people live is where we're to go and be witnesses. But there's another element of the scope of this task as well. We're not only to go to every part of the world, we're also go to every people group of the world. And if you've been at College Park very long, you should know what Jesus meant when he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The word there does not mean a political country of which there are about 200 in the world. The word means, it's, it's the word ethne. It means an ethno-linguistic people group. It's a group of people that communicate with each other and understand that we're all kind of the same people and we're different than all those other people out there. And how many of those people are there in the world? There are about 17,000 people groups in the world. And you need to know that number if you're part of the people of God, concerned about the mission of God, because our job is to be witnesses in all of the world and to all of the people groups in the world. But there's an even bigger difference in the task. That is, it's not just in a wider area, but the fundamental job has changed as well. What is our job in all of the nations of the world? And again, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus made it very clear. Go and make disciples of all nations. Notice now our job is not to dispossess the nations, but it is to disciple them. It is no longer a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. We no longer fight with the sword, but we fight with the sword of the Spirit. And Jesus, who came to inaugurate a spiritual kingdom, is sending us out on a spiritual mission. And that mission Dennis read for us is to preach forgiveness of sins and repentance in the name of Jesus Christ to all nations. Now, here's the interesting thing. When we do that job, when we make disciples, when we preach forgiveness in Jesus' name and people are changed, when there's a spiritual dynamic that changes within people, suddenly their lives overflow into the physical world around them. And as we teach disciples to obey everything that Jesus has commanded, part of that is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, yes, God's people will be involved in feeding the poor and caring for the sick and releasing the oppressed. 
will be involved in the bodies and the physical lives of people out of our love for God and our love for our neighbor, but the essential job is not to eradicate poverty in the world. The essential mission that we've been given for Matthew 28, 19 is to make disciples of all nations. I wanted you to hear this from one of our partners, Uncle George Giovanni Kamenel from our ministry at India has been here several times and preached, and he just had this brief summary when we were with him last year in India, and I wanted you to hear from him what our mission is. The Lord Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. And that's the job description of the church. He gave us the Great Commission, and the New Testament repeats it in seven different places in different words. And anyone who understands the heart of Jesus must know that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. A Christian cannot but preach the gospel because that is what Jesus came for. He came and died for all lost humanity. And there are a lot of lost people in the world, particularly here in the Indian subcontinent. One out of every six human beings lives here in this subcontinent. And unfortunately, most of them still have not heard the gospel. And we must do everything we can to tell them because Jesus loved them and died for them and his heart is broken that even after 2,000 years they haven't heard. We must. That's the commission that the Lord has given us and we must obey it. I'm going to ask one more question about that because I think we often think of that task as something unfinishable. It's kind of like the job of being holy. Do you ever finish that job? Not on this earth we don't. But my friends, this job, the mission of God in the world today is finishable. Did you notice Jesus didn't say make disciples of every single human being on the face of the earth? And why didn't he say that? Because not everybody is going to respond positively to his invitation. In fact, he said few are those who enter the way of life and narrow is that road. But what did he tell us to do? He said, make disciples of all nations. And what did he mean by that specifically? I think he meant a very clear task. I think he meant that we need to start like Paul did in the book of Acts, churches in every region and among every people group of the world so that they have enough strength and energy to reach the rest of their region or the rest of their people group with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when that job is done, then the mission of God in our era will be completed and Jesus will come back. Now, how do you know when you have a church built up strong enough to reach its own people with the gospel? Well, that's where we might have a difference of opinion. Missiologists have studied this and they've come up with a figure and this is what we're operating on. They've said that if less than 2% of people in a certain people group are born again believers, then that group has not yet been discipled because there's not enough energy, there's not enough momentum within that group to reach the rest of the people. Those people will live and die and probably never meet a Christian and probably never hear the gospel. And so if we use that as a benchmark, we can ask the question, well, how are we doing on finishing the mission of God in our day? But before we do that, I want to show you how Joshua finished his mission. It says in the middle of Joshua, so Joshua took how much of the land? The whole land. 
according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. This was Joshua's report card. They took the land and they settled it and they finished the mission of God. Now, what is our report card today? I was hoping you would ask. It's an important question. And here is our report card today. And let me just quickly read this map for you. The red parts of the world are the parts of the world where there are less than 2% evangelical Christians. The nations that have not yet been discipled. About 7,000 of those 17,000 people groups are in this part of the world. About 2.5 billion people live there. And so, my friends, we're about two-thirds of the way done with our job. We have a third left. And I wonder how God feels about that. He gave us this job 2,000 years ago. We've actually picked off the low-hanging fruit. We've gone to the closer countries, the places that were more open to having us. Who's left? Pretty much just the Anakites. Just those giants that are much bigger and stronger than we are and that we tremble in our boots to even think about going to their countries. But that is the mission of God, to take the message of Jesus into each one of those people groups at whatever cost so that Jesus' name might be lifted up. This vision is what has driven my life for the last 40 years since I first understood the mission of God in college. It's our vision here at College Park Church. We prioritize unreached people groups, not because they inherently have more value than anybody else, but because they have not yet had the very first chance to hear of a sending God who sent his son to save them from their sins. And we think everybody should have one chance to hear before they die. What do we do at College Park Church? Well, 12 years ago, we actually adopted one of these unreached people groups. We thought, you know, if we could knock off one name from that list of 7,000, that would be good. And if 7,000 other churches did the same thing, we could actually finish this job. And so we adopted a people group of 30 million people in the Caspian region, and we, we enabled the Bible to be translated for this people, and we've sent a number of folks over the years, and now there are five families from our midst who you have sent out, and they are laboring in love, making friends among the Caspian people, and preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And our hope is that the church would be established among that group and we could cross them off this list. We've sent a total of 47 missionaries from our church, 31 of whom work among unreached people groups. And you'll get to meet many of them next week. They'll be up here on the stage. We have six partnerships with key ministries around the world. We give over a million dollars a year from our church budget. Thank you for giving. And we direct most of that towards the unreached parts of the world so that we can finish the mission of God in the world. We take three out of four Christmas offerings for the unreached parts of the world because we're trying to prioritize it. We're trying to finish the mission that God has given to us in this world. And in fairness, we have come a long way. A hundred years ago, this map would have looked completely different. Probably 90% of the world would have been red just a hundred years ago. God is moving. He is sending his church. They are becoming mobile. Not just Westerners, but people from the South as well. Africa and Latin America are moving into mission. God is at work in the world. But we still have one-third of the task left. But we can do it because the God of the mission is on our side. 
His history is now even longer than it was for the people of Israel. And his promises are even greater. Yes, he promised to Abraham that he would bless all the nations through him. He told his son, Jesus, in Psalm 2, that ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. And Jesus has laid claim to the nations of the world. God has promised that this is going to happen. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then in Malachi, a verse that we saw last year, my name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. These are promises of our great creator God. He is going to do this job. But how do we know for sure? Because we see the end of the story before it's even happened. We get this glimpse in Revelation 7 of the picture in heaven that there will be a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. The promise of his powerful presence is still with us. So my question is, why are we so slow? Why do we have a third of the world left? Why are we so content with what we're doing, where we're doing? And I've left these spots blank because I'd like you just to let the Holy Spirit prick your heart. What do you need to write about you as the people of God? Why you are not more engaged than you are in the mission of God. Let me suggest a few thoughts. Perhaps it's because we like it here too much. We're not willing to break camp. We're not willing to shift our schedules and our priorities and our finances and even our retirement planning around enough to make a significant impact among the nations of the world. Maybe we're too much like our predecessors. We're fearful and we're untrusting. We see the giants but we don't see the giant God behind. Maybe we're oblivious of the mission. I hope you're not after this morning. Maybe we're distracted by things that are fine, but they're not the mission of God in the world. Maybe we're comfortable. We don't want to break camp. We've become squatters and not soldiers. Maybe it's because we've misunderstood our identity in this world. Rather than embracing our exile like we've been learning about in 1 Peter, rather than understanding and loving our alienness in this world, instead we have allowed the world to embrace us. And like an octopus, it has wrapped its eight long tentacles around us and it has gripped us so tightly and those suction cups are holding on to us and we are no longer a mobile people for God to deploy according to his wishes. We do not have the mindset of our forebears who, Hebrews 11 says, they admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. My friends, if you like it here, you're going to like it there so much better. And then you will enter your rest for all of eternity. But it is day now when we can work. And we don't belong in this world. 
We need to give these things up for God and his mission so that his name can be made great among the nations. Many of the generations behind us stepped up to the challenge and did the work of the gospel, even if it killed them. We read about them, we marvel over them, we quote them, but we're the ones dotting the landscape now. This is our tenure. They had nothing that we do not have. We have the same Savior, the same commissioning, the same scriptures, and the same indwelling spirit. My brothers and sisters, we are on. And the question is, are you going to let God send you into his mission? It's our turn. Well, what is that going to look like for you? On the back of your sermon notes, I've jotted down a few application points, and I want to run through these quickly. There's a lot of different things you can do, and it was hard to just boil this down to here's the one thing you need to do. Generally, the more spiritual you are, the farther down the list you're going to go. I'm just kidding. But look at something on this list and do it, because I believe that you can do more than you are doing for the nations of the world. This weekend, we're going to have our missionaries with us, like I mentioned. Friday night, you'll have an opportunity to be in a home with one of these missionaries and just hear their story and their vision and encourage them. Sign up online to go to one of our homes this Friday evening and meet with our missionaries. Or come to the brunch on Saturday at 9.30, the one main event of REACH that we have for the women to hear the women missionaries and the men the men and hear what has led them to break their own camps and advance into their parts of the world. We have Barnabas teams that pray for each one of our missionaries. We need more people on those teams. Will you identify, perhaps with not all 47 of our missionaries, but just one, and adopt them and join the Barnabas team and begin to pray regularly for them? I have a gift for the kids in the audience this morning. This is kids' prayer cards. There are 30 unreached people group cards here, and we have a few left after the first service. If you'll come up to me after the service, and if you'll commit to pray for 30 days, I will put one of these packets in your hand as long as we have a supply so that you can begin to pray for people that you can't even pronounce their names, but whom God loves. We have a ministry to international students at UIndy called FISH. 22 College Park families are involved in that, reaching these unreached peoples that God is sending to our very city. And there's opportunities for more people to sign up to sponsor an international student. We'd encourage you to think about a vision trip if you want to step out a little bit farther in faith. We, we're going to be passing out at the end of the service the description of all of the vision trips that we have next year. And maybe it's time now for you to unwrap a few of those tentacles of this culture and to release yourself. David Platt challenged his church, would you give God 2% of your time in the coming year? 2% is a week. All it takes is about a week to 10 days. And I was just talking with one of our staff members who was with me in Dubai in March. And he said, you know, I've been through many reaches and I've heard it all and I've believed it all, but something inside my heart changed when I saw those people face to face and was able to share Christ with them. Maybe it's the way that you need to break camp in advance by going on a vision trip in 2017. And then whoever said anything about going as a missionary and raising support. I, I didn't say that. Do you know what? A number of you can take your profession, your skills, right now and move into the red parts of the world. Maybe that's what God would have for you, to break camp and advance, not needing the finances of supporters, but using your skills to, to 
open a new vein of relationships among unreached peoples in the world and to be a light for Jesus there. And then finally, there's an amazing opportunity that you have starting this January to learn more about the mission of God. It's the Perspectives course. I want to show you a brief video that will describe what that course is like. We're hosting it here at College Park Church for just the second time. I'd encourage you to consider it. We truly learn why we're here. What is the purpose for our life? The whole Bible is God's purpose from beginning to end. And now I see that it's one story throughout, and it is all for the same purpose, to bring God glory in this world. I now see where God is calling out for the nations to know Him. This is the Bible study of all Bible studies. I would say next to reading through the Bible from cover to cover, Nothing has given me a, a better grasp on the big picture message of the whole Bible than perspectives. Perspectives on the World Christian Movement is one of the greatest classes you could ever take. Perspectives is a 16-week course that walks you through what God is up to in the world and how He's doing it. It'll walk you through the biblical perspective, the historical perspective, the cultural perspective, and the strategic perspective of the World Christian Movement. You'll see that fulfilling the Great Commission is actually doable in our lifetime in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you'll also learn why many churches have begun to adopt unreached people groups. We had the most amazing instructors. Men, women, young, old, uh, all different nationalities. You show up, you eat, you can really grow in relationships with people just by showing up. I thought there's no way I can do all this reading in one week before the next class. However, once I got started on the reading, the articles were so interesting, so powerful and so in-depth that I looked forward to doing that reading each week. The course is so biblically based that really anyone could come in and be encouraged and really grow in their relationship with God through this course. At the end of the day, really, um, missions is about sharing the gospel with others. And I realized that the object is not to westernize the whole world. The object is to share the gospel with all peoples of the world in a culturally relevant way so that they can understand the gospel in a way that makes sense for their culture. Jesus came and he said, follow me. He didn't say you need to do this, you need to do that. He just said, follow me. Someday, he wants someone from every tribe and tongue worshiping him around the throne, and that will bring him the greatest glory. It's so aptly named. It changes your perspective. You've got to take this course. I want all three of my children to take this course. I want, I want all 11 of my future grandchildren to take this course. You just, you've got to take this course. If you're on the fence about taking this course, take this course. You've got to take it. I don't know how he knew he's going to have 11 grandchildren. <laughs> but I do know that you've got to take this course. It will help you pull all of this together. There's a brochure in your bulletin today. Gary Meeks is at a table in the back. would be happy to answer more questions that you have about that. But here, as we close, is the summary of the message today. God calls a people to himself. God shapes a people like himself. And don't forget the third movement of God. He sends a people for himself. Will you offer yourself to go and accomplish the mission of God in the world today? Will you pray with me? Our great sending and redeeming God, we love you because you first 
loved us, and you sent your Son into the world to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That was all we really needed, and you've done it for us, and we give you our thanks. And now, as your people, we in turn give you our lives back again. You've helped us to understand, I hope, a little bit more about your mission. Now take our lives and use us. You've gifted us in so many different ways. and There are so many needs in mission around the world. Take us according to the pleasure of your goodwill and use us. Our desire is that the name of Jesus would be made great among the nations of the world through us. We pray that in his name. Amen.